Welcome to the Far From Average podcast, where we speak about topics and interview people who are far from average, so you can take your business and your life to the next level. And I know it's been a couple of weeks. We we usually do an episode every week, but this is a really special one. We're going to be talking about big business with Justin, man. I'm so excited to have you on the show, dude. Good. It's good to be here. For sure, for sure. Now, there's a lot that we're going to go into, but before we get into it, I want to know what made you decide to get into entrepreneurship? Mm, that's a great question. Yeah, I mean, it's, I think just the realization of it's the only way to separate yourself if you really want to break out of the societal mold, you know? And what do you mean by that? Oh, it's just that the concept of a salary, just, uh-huh. it never worked for me. It still doesn't. It right. actually gives me anxiety. It's like the opposite of most people, I feel like, because yeah. the thought of I'm going to get paid the same regardless of my effort, <sighs> I don't know how to make sense of that. So what it would actually actually be is demotivating to me. Mm. Anytime I've been paid for, for time instead of performance, I don't show up well. Dang. You know, like I'm like, ah, they're going to pay me anyways. What, why should I do the work? Yeah. So it's actually maybe a, a, a discipline thing. It's like, I need to be forced to perform, to earn, or I'm just not going to work. Dang. I never really thought about it that way because when we speak about salary, the first thing that comes to people's mind is security. Yeah. Like, oh, I, I know how much I'm going to make. I know where I should show up, what time. I know they're going to tell me what to do. But I never really thought about it as demotivating. But I kind of feel the same way about it. Now, we're both former athletes. Yep. What made you make the jump from your athletic career to wanting to be an entrepreneur? Yeah, I think, well, the realization of that, like you're not going pro, <laughs> that's uh, that's one of them, right? But it's interesting because being an athlete is how you develop all the disciplines yes. and the work ethic that's going to translate. So in that moment of, you know, I was in college playing college hockey uh-huh. and um, I knew it was going to end there and I couldn't find anything I wanted to do in college. Nothing made sense to me. No majors. I'm there for five years. And, and then the summer I just, I got a hundred percent sales, you know, hundred percent commission sales job uh-huh. and it all clicked for me. It was okay. I'm competitive. I want to wake up and compete every day this is the natural transition. I'm going to go compete for my income every day. Dang. And it was, it was the only thing that made sense to me. And in a way I was so lost in my life at that point. Uh-huh. Sales saved my life. Why do you say, I, I recommend sales to all of my listeners, but why do you think sales uh, saved your life? Because it, uh, it solved all the, the problems that I, I couldn't figure out. Like, what am I going to do with my life? And, and I didn't understand it at the time, but there's, there's a beast inside me that needs to be fed, right? Yeah. It's like, I need, I need to get hit on the ice. I need to compete. And the second that's coming to an end, you're like, well, what am I going to do? Just get a job and, and, and now I don't compete anymore. It was just like, it didn't, it didn't fit. Yeah. So when I got to go out there and it was super hard and I hated it at first, but then when you got a couple small wins, like the rush of winning yeah. and then also, cause most of the time in sports we lose. Right. Right. You're not winning the championship every season. You're lucky if you win a championship once in your life. Right. Right. So you're kind of conditioned for the struggle of the losses for for, for a big win. Mm -hmm. That's what sales is. How many, how many times can I get hit and watch everybody else quit? And then right before they're about to win like that, I mean, recruiting sales teams for years, Uh I watched so many people quit when they were about to get it out, you know, about to figure it out, about to get it right. And then you quit. And I just, I just don't quit. What makes you like that? Was it your upbringing? Was it, what makes you like that? Yeah, I think it was. I mean, my dad's an entrepreneur. You know, oh. I, I watched his ups and downs and never quitting, losing a bunch of money, building a big business, you know, so I saw both sides of what it looks like when you're on top and what it looks like when you're on the bottom, you know? Mm-hmm. 
And uh, yeah, his resiliency absolutely uh, was something that translated to me. And, uh, you know, you're lucky if you have parents that give you support, right. tell you you can do anything. Extremely. You know, and I had that. So, um, yeah, I think that had a lot to do with it. But I don't know. There's also, I used to think that huh. it was something that everybody developed. And I used to be like, well, why can't everybody else be like me? And the reality is you get deep into some of the neuroscience and how people are wired. And unless you're, you're on this high dopamine wiring, like not everybody can be like this. That's a realization I've actually come to. What do you mean high dopamine wiring? Some of us are just have a different level of dopamine system. Uh-huh. Like, I don't know if you're like this, but I'm like this. If I'm not doing something productive, I'm doing something destructive. There's just no middle for me. Yeah. It's that dopamine, like got to get the I hit. I have to fill my schedule. I have to fill my schedule and I have to be getting wins. I got to be doing something. So I understand what you mean, but kind of break down that, that process. What's the difference between the two kind of people you said neuroscience. Yeah. I think a lot of people are just, um, and this is a happiness thing too, right? Uh-huh. I feel like people like us, um, have the hardest time being happy in life. Hardest time. Right. Cause it's like, you're not happy when you haven't hit the goal, but you're not happy if you're not chasing the goal. It's, it's a tough dynamic. The yeah. per the person that has, contentness it doesn't have that that beast drive in them they're happier because they have everything they want and need yeah even if it and to, to your point about a salary security like there's nothing wrong with a job and a salary and security right, nothing wrong. this is about personal identity like what works for you mm-hmm. you know like i i see a lot of people like in my family like we're all different i'm the only charge you know, hard charging entrepreneur and i'm the oldest of five kids right mm-hmm. so i look at some of my siblings i think they're happier than me they have a lot less but they're a lot happier yeah, because all they want is, you know, they got their house, the job, the weekends. It's predictable. It's stable. Yeah. They got, they're building families. They're doing a different thing than what I'm doing. Uh-huh. I actually think they're happier. Dang. How does, how does an entre- entrepreneur who's constantly wanting more, how do you think they find that happiness? I think you you have to be in the journey. <laughs> it's, in the journey. Yeah, and I, I don't know. It's it's the hardest thing for me is is happiness. Like, I'm, I'm not happy if I'm not achieving if it's not going well, I'm not happy, you know? Uh-huh. And then, and then when you hit these big monster goals, it's a, it's a celebration and then back in the grind, right? Yeah. It's just like sports. Yeah, just like sports. It's the same thing. So do you think sports gives you uh, an advantage in entrepreneurship? Absolutely. Why? Because you get, you get used to getting hit, taking yeah. L's, coaches screaming at you. You know, you build a thick skin. Yeah, Going through sports, right? Other uh, intimidation from the other players. Like, uh-huh. I mean, that, that's going to elevate you to a level where you can go play in the entrepreneurial space, which is super cutthroat. Yeah, I think it just gives you that fighting spirit, getting knocked down, getting back up. What was your hockey career like, though? <laughs> well, um, so I played junior. So hockey is a little different than most sports. M- uh-huh. Most guys are, unless you're a unicorn, like you're not going to the NHL at 18. Almost everybody goes to either college uh-huh. and plays. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of guys go to college at 21 and play their four years and then go to pro uh-huh. um, or they play juniors, which is any age until 21 is where you max out. So that's kind of like pre pro, like it's not pro, but it's all the, all the pro leagues are fed from either college or, or juniors. So um, I played juniors. Um, it got, it was pretty clear to me. Like, you know, you've probably had this experience. Like you, you play with a guy where you're like, okay, that's the guy who's going to the league. Yeah. <laughs> and then you get humbled real quick. Like I'm pretty good, but there's a 14 year old on my junior team and he's six foot six Yep. and I'm six foot flat 19 and we're playing on the same team. Yeah. And this dude's killing it. Yeah. Yeah. I had that realization my senior year where we got, we got lit up for 40 
by uh by a freshman. Yeah. And and he's in the league now. There you go. I was like, yeah, I was like this is the guy. You can spot I, it. Yeah, you can spot it, but w- when you make when you had that realization that you might not be making it to the league, what was your thought process then? Got to figure it out. And and for me, I wasn't going to figure it out in college. Like I that's not why I was there in college. I was there to play hockey and party. Mm. You know, and like every after every semester, I didn't have the grades to play. Like I'm like getting terrible grades. So I was in every summer school, like every winter session, yeah, just to like pass a crap class to be eligible to play again. Like Dang. I completely so, yeah. lost. In okay. Completely lost. And what made you because I know a lot of people struggle struggle with letting go of their like athletic endeavors. Like I, I know dudes who are still they graduated years before me, but they're like, I'm on the grind, we're making it to the league. What what made you really grasp reality and say, like, I need to figure something else out? This is tough, right? Because it's like you don't want to quit on your dreams, yeah. but you also don't want to be the guy who's chasing a dead-end dream your whole life, right? This is, a, this is a tough, tough concept of, like, move on to the next thing because you also don't want to be the person that tries something for two weeks and then you're on to the next one and you, you develop a reputation for not being able to finish anything either. Right. So, yeah, it's a tough dynamic, but I think giving it your all and then being able to kind of do a download and dissect the reality of where you are Mm -hmm. being able to have the self-awareness to be honest with yourself right for good and for bad Mm -hmm. and be like okay this didn't work how far off am i if if, if i work x and x hard for how long can i can i actually possibly get there and if you can be honest with yourself the answer is no this is in business too right people that are married to their ideas and and they will just fail 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 and the idea is terrible Mm -hmm. that's not a solution either right so you want to have perseverance you don't want to quit but you got to know when I didn't go somewhere. Right. And how do you think, how, what was your process in determining that? Were you like, okay, I've played this amount of time. I've, I'm working hard and I'm still not seeing progress. Yeah. It was, it was just being around guys who didn't work as hard as me, but we're going to, there was nothing I could do. They were going to skate faster. They were going to hit harder. They were, you know, like I had certain things. I shot the puck harder than everybody else. Right. Like I, I scored, like I, shoot the puck 95 miles an hour, right? That's most guys in the NHL don't shoot at 95 miles an hour, but that's not what makes an NHL player, right? NHL is a war on the boards. It's a battle of strength. It's, you know, that's cool if you can shoot the puck 95 miles an hour on a wire and score, but you got to be in a position to take the shot, right? And as the levels get harder and harder, it doesn't matter if you can sink the shot every time. If, if a guy's in your face and he's blocking it because he's just, He's bigger and better bigger, yeah. you don't even get to use that talent so it's a it's a, it's a cocktail of of things that get you somewhere yeah. and then if, if you just you got to be honest with yourself you know right. and the odds i mean well we've got like 700 guys in the world that get to play at that elite level mm-hmm. millions competing for it millions yeah so what was your first business after playing hockey yeah so um i dropped out well actually i was still playing hockey and i started doing direct sales that summer mm-hmm. And um, 100%. yeah, hundred percent commission, uh, never had a salary. Um, kind of glad it started that way. Uh, I mean, little odd jobs in there, right? Like I worked at subway in high school. Yeah. I pushed carts at the grocery store, like stuff yeah. like that. But that was just, you know, to get by getting money on the summer, like uh-huh. before you go back to school, all, all that kind of stuff. But, uh, yeah. So when that summer, when I started doing direct sales and I got those first couple checks, like, you know, you make a thousand bucks in a week for the first time. And like your friends are graduating, making 30 grand, you know, this is back in, like I'm 36. So that was what, 2008, nine, everybody's graduating, making uh-huh. 30 grand. And then all of a sudden, like, wait a minute, I just figured out how to make a thousand bucks in a week. 
I'm already at 50 grand a year. Right. I don't even have a degree. Yeah. And now I'm like, you know what? That's it. I just got to get better at this scale, scale, scale. And then it was a game of, okay, business is a, it's a total even playing field. Who wants it more? It's not like bigger and stronger makes you better at business. Mm-hmm. You know, all those barriers in sports are gone. Right. It's just you versus the entrepreneurial world. Right. And I loved that, that I actually had complete control of where I was going to go. Uh huh. And there's no, you know, lid on the income. There's, there's, there's no floor either. Right. That's exciting. You got to wake up. It builds in the discipline. So for some people that, that, that crumbles them Yeah. for me, it's like, all right, time to wake up and get it. Yeah. Like, and guess what? Every you. 24 hours, repeat, repeat, repeat. Exactly. You're always, like you said, you're always, if you're not achieving the goal, you're working on achieving the goal. Like it's always moving towards something each and every day. Now you're, you're a lot further ahead from the thousand bucks a month now. Yeah. yeah. A lot further ahead. But along the way from your first commission job to where you're at now, what kind of failures did you experience in entrepreneurship? Man, tons. Um, I was actually a super weak person um, growing up um, socially. Like, couldn't go to prom, homecoming, like, couldn't show up. It was just the anxiety level was just out of control. Dang, I would not expect that. Yeah, but like, that's what's funny, right? There's just certain people, like, you have a choice in life. The things, things are either going to make you or break you. And I hated that quality in myself so much uh-huh. that I had to get rid of it or it was going to kill me. Like not being able to talk to people and not wanting to go into public. Like that's, that's a pretty dark place. Right. You know? So, um, I, and like forcing myself to do that. I, I'll never forget it. The first lead I ran, um, in sales drive like direct sales, like door to door, right? I drive uh-huh. up to the house. I mean, I'm like shaking, sweating bullets. And I literally, like, I drove away. Like, I was just going to quit and not do it, not even show up to the appointment. And for whatever reason, I just turn around, <laughs> park the car, walk up to the door. You know, like that, these, there's going to be defining moments in your life where uh-huh. you're terrified. At the time, I didn't realize that that's a, that's a sign of you're going in the right direction. Okay. Didn't know it. Thank God I did it anyways. You know, did the appointment. They actually bought for me. My, my your first, first one? First one. Um, it wasn't a big sale, but it was a sale. It was, a it, sale. it was enough that like debriefing that I was like, wow, I know I suck at this. I know they only bought it cause they felt bad for me, you know? <laughs> but they still bought it. Yeah. So there's potential. Yeah. It's just, and then it's, and then from there, it's just a deprogramming, right? And then through showing up, showing up, showing up, meeting people, you get desensitized to the, the interaction and all of a sudden it's like, okay, I'm not scared to talk to people anymore. And then the same thing happened when, you know, like someone's like, hey, do you want to speak on a stage? Like the first time I spoke on a stage, terrifying, absolutely terrifying. But it's like anything else. I'm like, oh, I remember this feeling. Yeah. Repetition solves the problem. Do it anyways. Right. Uh Uh-huh. Right. It's supposed to be scary. That's why people won't do it. Yeah. It's supposed to be hard or there wouldn't be any opportunity. And never once when I've been terrified to do something did afterwards everything I was scared of happen. Never happened once. What do you mean? Like, if you're like, oh, I'm going to go on the stage, I'm, I'm going to, like, forget what to say, I'm going to look like an idiot, I'm going to drop the microphone, like, all these things you think about. Uh-huh. Or, even worse, so you want to get, like, real deep on it, do I even deserve to be here? Mm, imposter syndrome. Like, do I deserve to be on this stage right now? Like, what? why am I so special? Like, why, why should these people listen to what I have to say? Right. You got all these things going through your head, and then you go do it anyways. Turns out you give great value to people, and they love it, 
and you didn't forget everything. You might yeah. have been a little nervous and talk a little fast, you know? Right. First time doing a podcast, same thing. Yeah. You know? Yeah, my first one was terrible. You'd be probably terrified, you know? Like, oh, I hate the way I sound. I hate the way I look on camera. The first time you do a reel, like all, th- all these things. Mm-hmm. The difference between the successful and the unsuccessful are the people who just do it anyways. Mm. We all feel the same shit. Yeah, that's huge. All of us. Yeah, that is huge. Now, after you, you did the commission sales job, what... Because I want to get into like the private equity stuff. Let's get into the private equity stuff. How you start a private equity business. What is a private equity business and your experience with it? Yeah, it's it's an interesting story. So, you know, direct sales, did Uh that for 10 years. Um, It became a bigger thing um, with, uh, it was my dad's company that he started, little food service called Heartland Foods. And we grew that together. I built the whole sales side and um, pandemic happens. The company explodes, right? Everybody wants delivery. Um, so right. what ends up happening is private equity companies started looking at us to buy us, right? Uh-huh. So I had never been involved in private equity before and got to see that process of uh, when we sold the company to private equity. Mm-hmm. And um, I had already been pretty deep as an investor in real estate, um, learning. I started with single families and then I learned about multifamily and then started dumping all, all my money into uh, multifamily projects. So uh-huh. um, that's up to 1,600 plus units across five states now. And um, through getting around these these big syndicators, some like hedge funds, things like that, I'm starting to see this other world. Like, and it's called the private placement space. Really, it's it's the world of investing that the public doesn't get access to. Is is really what it is. Okay. And um, when we were selling the company, I was like, well, what am I going to do next? Right. So I started traveling, going to all these high end masterminds. Um, something I didn't do for ten years, mm-hmm. which I'm just kicking myself every day about that. What the private mastermind? Oh yeah. I mean, I, I didn't go to events. I, I mean, I read a ton of books, listen to podcasts, but the sauce, like if you really want to change your life, it's uh-huh. in-person high-end masterminds. That's where you're going to meet people that can actually take you to the next level that can introduce you to opportunities that you don't have right now. Right. Right. It's like people want to spend five grand on a vacation, but won't spend five grand on a weekend with a bunch of hundred millionaires. Like, come on. Dang. Like what's going to get you further in life? You want to spend hundred grand on a degree or do you want to spend a hundred grand on masterminds? Like yeah. masterminds all day. You know? Yeah. So that was a, that was a huge transition. And that's where I met my partner, Cody Kearns. He had a big marketing company. He was winding that down. He was testing uh, various trading strategies and he started a hedge fund, mm-hmm. um, which sounds crazy. You know, hedge funds, it's this mysterious world on wall street. Anybody can start a fund. Anybody can start a fund. So what, what is a hedge fund? So our, ours is 506C. So it's, it's 506C Reg D, which means we can only take um, investors uh, that are accredited. So the accredited investor thing is the SEC's way of protecting the public from scams and all kinds of high-risk private placement plays. Right? Uh-huh. So the SEC says if you're a single person and you don't have $200,000 of income, you can't invest in hedge funds. If you're married and you don't have $300,000 of income, you can't invest in these hedge funds. Hmm. And if you don't have the income, the other way you could qualify is by net worth. And it's a million dollar net worth, excluding your primary residence. Oh, the amount of people that come to me and want to invest that don't meet those criteria, I can't take your money. Isn't that messed up? Yeah, that's, that's interesting, but they're protecting them, but they're also keeping them away from an opportunity. Exactly. And that's, I don't think, like, I know a lot of people who meet that criteria who don't know a thing about investing, right? Wow. Just because you make money and you have high income doesn't mean you have any investing acumen at all. And then there's people who are starting, who are learning, 
who are reading that don't necessarily meet that criteria yet, but they're ready to play in the private placement space. Yeah. So is there any way for them to do it? No. I mean, they'd have to do it themselves. Oh, okay. right. But they wouldn't be able to invest in a 506C. Okay. A 506C. Yeah. And what do you guys do with the money? So we, we do several things with it. Uh, fund one flagship fund. It's a, uh, it's a trading fund. So we use all different strategies. So w- one thing about 506Cs is when, when you invest, we call it investing, but it's not really investing. You're partnering, right? Mm-hmm. So we're general partners. Everyone that we take on as a partner is a limited partner. It's the same thing in all the real estate stuff. So for me, I don't do real estate when I invest in these big multifamily syndications. I'm a limited partner of their fund. So funds can go fund to fund. Uh-huh. We could be limited partners of other funds. Limit Other funds could be limited partners of our fund. So, so separate companies, yeah. separate funds are like, you become a partner with another fund? Yeah. So to okay. give you an example, our, our private equity fund is through, well, we're investing with Innovation X, mm-hmm. which is a billion plus big private equity fund, right? Mm-hmm. So we're limited partners of their fund, which means when they find big opportunities because they have much better access than we do, we get to invest in it as a limited partner. And then all the money we raise from our limited partners, you know, see how the tree kind of yeah. goes. So if you're like our minimum investment for private equity is 250,000. Mm-hmm. If you wanted to be innovation X, like so, the minimums are in the millions, right? Okay. So if we raise money from the average everyday accredited investor that can put in a hundred thousand to 500,000, you know, something like that. And then we pull it all together as millions. And then we go fund to fund representing everyone. Now we can get access to the best investments in the world. Dang. And what kind of stuff are you guys investing in? So we, we just closed out a raise for a company called Flexport, $6 billion in, in revenue annually. It's, it's a behemoth. They, they operate in 116 countries, 10,000 customers. It's, it's a big logistics company, like a, like a FedEx, you know? Uh-huh. Uh, but they're private right now. They've raised $2.3 billion, and a billion of that came from SoftBank. The last round was from Andreessen Horowitz at $940 million. It might be nine seventy, some, somewhere in there. But we're talking like billions of dollars being raised like, like that, you know? Um, so we, we had an opportunity through Innovation X to mm-hmm. buy $50 million of shares off of a distressed fund that needed to liquidate their shares. They had bought them years ago. So it's, it's a win for them. They're going to make money, but they need liquidity. Okay. And Innovation X can move quickly. You know, like they need to raise $100 million. They can do it in 30 days, right? So they brought that opportunity to us. And we, we funded, uh, we're not completely done yet. So I think it's around three to five million is what we're going to fund of that 50 million. Okay. Right. Cause their limited partners, other funds like us are going to pool it all together to go buy these shares. Uh-huh. So we're buying, we're buying the company at, at one time sales in the, in the public market, this company would trade for somewhere around four and a half time sales. So companies probably, let's say 12 to 24 months away from IPOing going public and before, you know, fees, splits, and all that stuff, we're looking at a four to eight X. Four hundred to eight hundred percent in two years. On you can't do that, that in the raise, public market. On all the money that you raise from the other people, and then you put the money into the to the bigger investment. Am I am I following that right? Yeah. So we're gonna take we're buying these shares, right? Uh-huh. Well, Innovation X is buying the shares, and they're funding those shares with a bunch of limited partners. And you're helping them buy the shares with the money that you raised. Exactly. Okay, that's dope, yep. man. That's so interesting. What made? How did you get into? Because this seems very, the average person, like you said, this is something that sounds very intimidating. Like, oh yeah, 
How did you get into it? Literally went to a mastermind. I met Cody Kearns. He was starting the hedge fund. Uh-huh. And the first thing I did, because um, I, I was trying to figure out what I was going to do next. You know, I know what my skill sets are. I stay in my lane. I'm a sales guy. Like, I don't try to do anything else. I, I know I'm bad at operations, right? I know I'm bad <laughs> at accounting. I know I'm bad at pretty much everything else, but I'm great at sales. Okay. So I was just looking at, okay. And I'm also, this is another thing. Like when you, when you, a lot of people that are great at sales, you start making a bunch of money. You get this idea in your mind. Like I need to start my own company. Like I've seen so many people try to make that transition. It's not the same skill set, right? So again, back to like awareness and identity, mm-hmm. my ego is like, I need to be the CEO. I need to start my own thing. The practical brain was like, well, you're great at sales. You're not a great CEO. Get behind a great CEO and uh-huh. go further together, right? I'm like the best number two you'll ever find, but I know I'm not the num- I'm not a number one, Dang. right? Yeah, no, that's so I was I was looking for a number one that I could get behind, and that was Cody. I was like, this is the guy. So the first thing I did is I was like, because you don't at this level, you don't apply for a job, like that's not how it works, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm like, I have to demonstrate my value to this person for them to even talk to me. So the first thing I did was I spent some money. I hired his marketing company to do some work for us. I didn't really need, but I want to get on his radar. I want to spend some money, right? Yeah. Show him I'm a player, right? And I also wanted to see, okay, how do you operate, right? And his business operated flawlessly. They delivered the work on time. Like, you know, if you're going to go into business with somebody, you got to kind of date him a little bit first, right? Yeah. So I'm like, all right, all this is checking out. And then he bought our product at, at Heartland Foods. Uh-huh. We both bought each other's products, right? <laughs> and uh, eventually what happens is, He's, he's launching the, the fund. Uh, the first thing I did was invest in it. I invested in it before it launched. You know, like put my money behind your thing, mm-hmm. right? Fund launches, what do I do? I don't even say anything. I just hit the phones and I started raising capital for him. And I just started sending him investors. And within 30 days, he's like, do you want to come join this thing with me? That's how it's done, right? Damn. When someone's ahead of you in the food chain, you don't ask them for anything. You demonstrate your value and then they'll bring you in. And that's how I became president of sales, managing partner of a hedge fund. Man, that is, that's crazy to get into that. A lot of people don't really understand that, that the people that are ahead of you, like they don't, they don't need lunch. They don't need, they don't need yeah. you to take them out. It's, it's <laughs> insulting. You're like, can I take you out for a coffee? I can buy my own coffee, man. Like bring yeah. me some value. Yeah. Bring I'd some love value. to pull you up the food chain, but you got to bring value first. Yeah. Do you think that? So the masterminds, the um, the investing in it, is there anything else that you did to kind of sneak your way in or go up the food chain? Yeah. I mean, I, I put myself on stages. I spent money to speak. You spent money to speak? I sp- yeah. I spent a lot of money to get on someone else's stage. Like, I'm trying to position myself, right? Like, two, two three years ago, I didn't even have a social media. Like, didn't even have, like, I mean, I had an Instagram, but it was like, just my friends and family, like 500 people yeah. following me. And I'm like, all right, well, if I'm going to be taken seriously, like you got to have a personal brand in, in today's world. So I went all in on that. I hired a coach because uh, I didn't know anything about social media, figured out how to like, how to grow it, how to make the page look nice. Got, you know, did, did all those things. And then uh-huh. I'm like, okay, now I need to get out into the world. And I paid 15 grand to speak at, at mega success. And it was the first time I spoke on a legit stage and it was like, thousands of people uh-huh. went great. I got the footage, the branding, put it all over, all over my social media. And then I went out 
to go figure out what I was going to do next. And, and if you have a great looking profile and you're sending DMs to these high level people, they're going to answer. If your profile sucks, they're not going to answer you. Right. So it's all, all these little things that that are going to make it happen, but you, you can't cut corners on any of it. Right. Oh, that's crazy. So why do you why do you think you see so much value in yourself that you're you're willing to invest in? What's the most you spend on like a mastermind? Most I've ever spent on a mastermind, ten grand. Ten grand. Yeah. Why do you, why do you see so so much value in yourself that you'll invest ten grand as opposed to other people who won't invest in themselves, but they'll go invest in somebody else's last name. They'll go buy Gucci, Louis Vuitton. Why do you see so much value in yourself? Um, I didn't. I, I didn't at all. That uh-huh. that's what was so scary about it. I remember telling my wife like. I just spent 15 grand and like, she, I love when she tells the story. Cause she's like, like there was no blood in your face. You're like completely just pale, terrified. I was terrified every step of the way. Absolutely terrified. But what was the alternative? Mm. Right. The alternative was ignoring all the books I read and just go get another job. So like every time you have that fear, like Grant Cardone's always in my ear. He's like, run towards the fear. When it's the scariest, that's when you double down, blah, 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 blah. That's the difference between, I mean, I don't, I don't think there's any naturals in this game. If there are, let me know, but right. it's scary every step of the way. Anytime you're going, it was the same fear of the first sales call, right? Uh-huh. That got me to that level. I'm like, okay, it's a familiar feeling. Like spending big boy money, 15 grand, and I don't even know if anything's going to come out of it. Right. Like that's a big leap when you've never done it before. Yeah. And uh, I was terrified and I did it. And then now I'm committed, right? So I had to do everything else. Sometimes you got to put your money on the line to force yourself into the thing that you know you should do, even if you're terrified. Dang. Yeah, I, I experienced something similar. Like when I when I started picking up with my podcast, I found a mentor. I found a mentor. And I was like, I don't know if this is really going to be something I can make money with, but I'm going to put down seven grand. And I'm going to do it. I'm going to try to figure it out. And like you said, like, I wasn't 100% confident in it, but I knew this is something that I could do and that I wanted to do. So I made that investment. But no, man, that's... that's Isn't that crazy? It's it's just like, what if I didn't go to that... I spent 10 grand to speak at, at Cody's boot camp uh-huh. the first time I met him. I was like, I'm not just going to show up and buy general admission. Like, that's the worst move you could ever make if you're trying to make an impression on somebody. Dang. Like, I got to buy the highest level ticket. I got to show up. I've never done a keynote before. I guess I'll make one, right? Uh-huh. I'm like, they're offering it. I'm doing it. It got me uh, uh, on the yacht for, for a day, one-on-one time. Like, I think back to all these little moves. If I had cheated or cut a corner on any of it, I would not be here. No chance. Dang. Why do you think that, uh, or how do you think being around the people that were making tens of millions, how do you think that started to change how you thought? The first thing it makes you realize is that they're no different than anyone else. They just didn't quit and ran through fear. And they've got a a monster list of failures that you don't see on social media that you don't know about. Mm-hmm. Right? No one's going to know when you look at my social media that when I was trying to figure out what I was going to do next, I failed at like 15 things before I found Curtin's Capital. Right? Like I tried to get my insurance license, failed it twice. I'm like, I guess I'm not going to be an insurance guy. <laughs> I, had, I had this in my head. I was like, well, I know like insurance sales guys are making a ton, but I'll start my own insurance agency because again, my ego, I'm like, I can't be a sales guy again. I gotta, I gotta do my own thing. And then 
And then through, through those failures, like failure speaks to you. It, it course corrects you. It tells you what you shouldn't have been doing. Right. It's a good thing. You're figuring out what isn't working. Mm-hmm. You're going to have to figure out what doesn't work to figure out what works. Right. But very few people are willing to go through that process. Agreed. That's what I noticed with the hundred million guys is a lot of them have lost everything several times. Wait, you're talking about the hundred million mastermind? No, no, just people with that type of money. Oh, with that type of money. Yeah, what they've been through to get there. Okay. Yeah. Man. That's like, nobody just like started a business and I yeah. have a hundred million dollars. Like, Well, we were talking a little bit about the uh, the health business, the organic health. Did you, did you end up selling that, that company? Yeah. What can you kind of run us through if you don't mind like talking about some of the numbers that you that you guys were making and what you guys exited at yeah i mean there's i can't talk about the specifics okay. um i can give you some of it though i mean we, we were doing over over 10 million in sales um at at the time that we sold it um lifetime sales to 87 million it was still a small company mm-hmm. um, so it was a good exit for for the size of the company good multiple all that stuff um, but what you learn going through that is <laughs> it's complicated and you need advisors. You need a whole team to go through a, a sale of a company. And it's not as simple, like on the surface, you're like, Oh, private equity, uh, we're worth five times sales or six or, you know, whatever the multiple you think it is. And then it becomes so much more complicated than that. It has to do with the systems you built, um, how scalable the company is. Uh-huh. Um, there's just so many metrics, um, depending on the industry, there's different multiples and, yeah. and it becomes kind of a battle of, of both teams figuring out a way to get the deal across the finish line. And it takes months. It takes months. It takes a long time and everyone wants to change terms. They want this in the deal, that in the deal. And it, it turns, it's expensive. Lawyers are going to, and even in Lawyer. a, even in a good sale, you're going to have a lot of legal fees. You're going to have you know, teams of consultants working on this thing. Yeah. So if, if you're, Thinking about selling your company, you know, be prepared for that. And if somebody does want to sell their company, what should they be looking out for as far as their systems and things like that? How can they get the most out of uh, out of the deal? Yeah, that, that's a lesson that we learned is invest in the systems early and upfront. Um, a, a thing that a lot of entrepreneurs do is, you know, you, you put your blood, sweat, and tears into this thing. You start turning a profit, and you want to take the money out of the company, right? You want to give yourself a little lifestyle, you know, the longer you can reinvest everything into your business and not take money out of it, Uh the bigger your multiple will be when you, when you go to sell. So it's like, you know, if your business makes a hundred grand this year, don't take a hundred grand out, take out what you need to live off of and reinvest the rest of it into whatever systems you need. Salesforce, NetSuite, like all these foundational systems. Cause if you try to implement that stuff after you grow, you're, first of all, your company is going to be chaotic. People aren't going to have the resources they need within the company. And then, and then you're working backwards. And you're going to have to spend that money either way. So I think if you do it in the beginning and you focus on systems, something that can scale, because when a private equity comes to buy you, that's oh. what they're going to look at. Mm. Do you have the infrastructure to scale or do we have to build it? That changes the multiple big time. Multiple. And when you say the multiple, what do you mean? how much someone's willing to pay for your business. Okay, how much you're willing to pay. And is there is there some kind of formula that these companies use? Yeah, and that's what I learned is so complicated is every industry has a different formula. Mm-hmm. Um, there's things called like CAGR, which is like cost adjusted. Um, it's like when you look at the S&P 500, right? It's like, you're like, oh, you'll get eight to 10%. Well, when you adjust it for inflation and all these other factors, the CAGR is actually like 5%. 
that's what your real return is. Or, you know, there's, it's so complicated. I'm yeah. not even going to pretend to understand that. That's why you need uh-huh. a, a, advisors and people who are pros at that piece of it. Yeah, for sure. Again, I, I'm the sales guy, right? Yeah, you're the sales Same guy. Same thing with Kearns Capital. Like people want to ask me like, well, how is the investment manager doing this and that and blah, blah. I'm like, look, that's for the investment manager to figure out. Yeah. Right. We, that's why we're, we're partnering up because they have that skill set. That's what you're paying for in your fees and profit splits mm-hmm. so that you can get the returns because you don't know how to do it. I don't know how to do it. Right. What's yeah. the next step for your social media? <sighs> I'm just letting it cruise right now. Um, I'm not putting a ton of effort into it. One thing for, for what I do, the, the target market is so niche. Um, yeah. You know, it's, it's, you want to have a personal brand. Uh, for me, it's more so of when I meet people in public, if I speak on a stage, if I'm at an event, they go into my social media, it, it provides the credibility um, behind me, right? Right. And it's a follow-up tool, big time, right? Like it used to be in the old days before social media, like we'd be, it'd be all follow-up emails, calls, texts. Yeah. The best follow-up there is, is every person you meet, make sure you follow them and they follow you back. And then all your content, all your stories every day. I mean, you're never going to be able to hit somebody that many times with, with traditional marketing. Yeah. But it's like, I make sure, you know, five to 10 stories a day, you know, whatever it is. Sometimes like I'll see the engagement go down and I'll be like, all right, I'm only going to do two today, you know, but being in front of those people constantly Mm -hmm. is, uh, is how it gets done. I mean, depending on what you sell for some people, doing the reels, paid ads, all those things you could bring in your target audience. You're not allowed to advertise in 506C. The SEC doesn't allow us to advertise. Dang. Yeah. It's crazy how many limitations, but there's still people making a lot of money with it. It's a networking thing. I mean, the, the real world of investing in the private placement space is all networked. It's all like in-person masterminds, speaking on stage, like you said. Just, yeah. So if you want to get into this, that's the route you take. You got to get in the room. Yeah. Got to get in the room. And where can everyone find you on social media? So it's Justin Freistadt. Tough last name. I'll spell it for you. <laughs> it's F-R-E-I-S-H-T-A-T. And that's Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, all that good stuff. Uh, website's toptierhuman.com. And then Kearns Capital's website is kearns.capital. There's no .com on the back of that. Just kearns.capital. All the links will be down below, guys, so you guys can follow him and check out the private equity. Do you have any like any like mentorship or anything for getting into this by chance? I mean, I, I was doing coaching for a while. I stopped doing it. Um, I guess I would do it. You, you would know? do it? Okay. Yeah. So if you guys are interested in it, I'm going to put his social media down below, and I'm going to link all that stuff, and I'll see you guys on the next episode. Peace. Sweet.